The London borough of Tower Hamlets is rich in history, but it's also a young borough with over 25% of its population aged between 0 to 19 years. In this episode of Our House, we talk to Andy Mossop, a youth and community worker for East London Tabernacle in Mile End, also a long-time partner of East End Homes. Andy tells us more about his job, why he enjoys working with young people, something he's been doing for over 18 years now, and why it's so vital young people have access to space and services outside of their home and school. Andy, welcome to Our House. It's great to have you here today. Hi there, thank you. Thanks very much for coming on board. Now, I know that you live and work in Tower Hamlets. How has the last month or so been for you? We're now it's the 8th of March. It's International Women's Day. How are you coping with 2021? Well, it feels a lot better today and now, doesn't it? The last couple of weeks have definitely started to feel better. Eight weeks after Christmas really felt quite tough. Like even getting to Christmas, I felt quite worn down and it was nice having some time off, but he just felt really tired. It's just been a bit of a hard slog, but it does feel like we're coming out of that now. I think a lot of people I speak to, you have days where you just feel low and you can't really say why when you can't work like you normally work or do what you normally do. But it feels like those days are getting a bit fewer now and, you know, the sun is coming, the bulbs are coming up and things are looking better. I think having the vaccine coming out and a roadmap, it helps, doesn't it? There's brighter days ahead. Yeah, I think it definitely helps. And the little things like the pops of colour really make a difference. Like definitely. Yesterday, the sun was shining across Tower Hamlets and it felt so nice, didn't it? Even though it was mm. freezing, but that blue skies, fresh air definitely perks you up. Everyone I've spoken to has found the last few months really hard and it's just how you navigate that and support one another as an an employee or neighbour or family member. I wanted to start by asking you a bit about your role at ELT and what you do. I'm the youth and community worker at ELT. I've been doing it since 2002. I can remember that well because that's when my first son was born. (laughs) So 18 years I've been doing that. My role straddles partly the church itself. So there are young people in the church and it's my job to teach them the Christian faith, teach them the Bible and organise things for children and young people at the church. So things like youth clubs and children's clubs and I have a big summer holiday club, which I've organised for many years. But then mother half of my job is more sort of in the community itself where faith is less of the issue. So we run youth clubs for young people of any faith or of no faith. And we have three youth clubs we run, which anyone who lives locally can come to. So since 2002, you've been with ELT and have the community youth programmes been going on forever? Was it something that got set up in the early noughties? I was actually in the church before getting the job or creating the job in a way. I think the church, like in the late 90s, I guess, was thinking, how can we connect better with our neighbours and with the local community? And we'd always had like a, a senior minister and an assistant minister, but their role was more focused on preaching and doing things for the people who chose to come to church, but not so much outward focus and I think creating this post meant there was a more deliberate link let's link up with our neighbours let's connect with the local community and see what we can do together I guess I started a new youth club on a Monday night in 2002 and that was the first of that kind of wave you know kind of grew from there really we had one club to start with and then it gradually built up to other clubs coming along so you started off on a Monday initially what was the age group you're going for was it teenagers was it 
under 11s, under 12s. It was definitely the teenagers. I mean, it's been through so many phases, I can't quite remember the details. I do remember meeting Tanya, one of our neighbours, yeah. and I was doing some outreach for our holiday club, which was aimed at primary age kids and, you know, giving out flyers for five to 11 year olds. She said, do you do anything for teenagers? And I was like, well, we don't yet, but we're planning to start. Like This is the autumn 2002. So she was the first person I went to speak to when we, right, I'm starting, I'm going to do something on a Monday night, let's meet. It was her son and his friends and the people who lived out the back of the church. We got a bit of funding from a play association, a grant for that, and that kind of got us going. Yeah, that was a really nice mix of kids, actually, that age. We had a whole sort of racially mix and boys and girls. It was a nice group. And just through word of mouth and young people saying there's something going on on a Monday night, did you find that there was quite strong interest immediately amongst young people? Was it something you had to build awareness of? I guess knowing someone like Tanya was a really good head start. <laughs> uh, if you got a parent, and she was really good, and she still is really good. She knows everybody, and she knew her son and all his mates and all their families. It didn't take a long time to build up in that sense, but it did then gradually grow. You have a core that you start with, and then gradually they tell their mates, or you meet a few others, and they get to come along. It's quite locationally based. Stayed very much mile end focused. Probably young people to an extent, they self-police that, don't they? They yeah. kind of like... We'll tell our mates, but we don't want the whole world coming because that will kind of spoil it. So it kind of got to a sustainable level, you know, relatively quickly. And then we got going with them. You started off on a Monday. It was very diverse, great range of people. But then you felt that it was becoming a bit too male dominated. So you had to appeal to female, younger people. So how did you go about doing that? I think it was 2006. We took part in something called Solomon City, which was like where volunteers from different churches, I think all over London, maybe all over the country, signed up for a week of voluntary work to help a community and so we signed up to that and we had a team of about 12 volunteers who came to work in ALT for a week and do something in the community. I think we paired up with Debbie Davis at Eastern Homes at that point and asked what could we do in the local area which would be a benefit to people. They got us sort of painting over graffiti all over the estate at the back of the church where we're based and that was a really great week and that was the first time really we'd met many Bengali kids. Like until then it'd be mainly white black kids. That week they came down into our basement youth club area like in the evenings for the first time and I think that really marked a turning point for us. It meant there was another community that we were building links with and helping getting to know but it was partly that also that gradually over the years the youth club became more and more Bengali dominated and therefore became more male dominated because they tended to do things in a sort of segregated genders it wasn't officially a boys club but in practice it became a boys club yeah. so then we had a couple of years where we were saying well what do we do about this you know a are we happy about this and we were like no we're not happy about this it needs to be fair there needs to be providing resources for young women as well but then how do you do it so we got a grant we set up some lunchtime clubs in our two nearest secondary schools st paul's way and central foundation and they've worked really well so we run an arts and crafts club in both those schools once a week with some volunteers and a youth worker and they started to get to know lots of young women that way and it's a safe space everybody goes to school you don't need special permission to go to school and most of them enjoyed doing the activities we were offering arts and crafts and things and then out of that you could then say well we can invite you to come to our after school club on a friday at the church so we started a new club that way and had like an audience to invite if you like people we knew Uh, and it's out of that 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 got started i think that might have been about 2009 in the end or 2010 But that's still a thriving club. Again, not thousands, you know, but local young women who know the workers, know the area and come along each week. And a really great bunch of friends they've become. I think that's one of the aims of it in a way, to provide a space where girls and young women can mix outside of the home, have some safe peer space and time to socialise, which is, I think, so important for teenagers, particularly that stage of life. They love to just spend time together and talk and chew things over and develop their ideas and stuff. And so that Friday night club has become a really good space for doing that, where they can meet, spend time together, 
but do a whole lot of fun things like in the holidays we try really hard to do some good trips out and activities and things so they've been to the beach for picnics they've been to an open air theater in regent's park they've been climbing and all sorts of things you know what I mean so we try and get them to do a whole variety of outdoor activities as well as cultural activities and just going to a cinema or something like that a really lovely diverse program of activities that you're tailoring for different age groups and different genders and evolving yep. I guess when they're evolving because I'm thinking back to 2002 obviously mobile phones were very much in use then but not like smartphones and now today we all are massively on our smartphones and phones and has the youth service or your youth community project have to use different forms of technology in terms of how it communicates with young people? Yeah, but I'm probably not as up to date as some people are. <laughs> I'm quite old school. Uh, it took me a long time to get going with a mobile phone in youth work. For me, it's it's partly a headache because you've got to think through all the protocols. Like, how do we do this safely? How do we do safeguarding? The pandemic has made us really think more about that. Obviously, we're using Zoom now. The first week of the pandemic, I went out and bought two new mobile phones for two of our youth <laughs> workers to use. It was like, we're going to need these. And so sort of investigating, is it best to do things on Zoom or other kind of video call apps and things like that? Um, I guess I'm just about okay with using WhatsApp and texting and things like that. Obviously, we haven't gone big on instagram or twitter or anything like that i've got a colleague who's probably much more up to date with that sort of thing um so yeah we had to adapt things a bit we had to adapt our policies and, and things we do but still it's like in the old days having a flyer for a youth club I and mean, we still have flyers but yeah. really oh i the love best flyer. Way... i think a flyer is it's so tangible isn't it like... <laughs> well yeah and something nice about it in that sense but it, in terms of getting people to come to something you can't really beat meeting people or going out on your feet and just talking to people i think that's kind of and i think our youth clubs still probably get the most people coming to them by word of mouth by a mm. friend or like the club that club in, in a way has a generational pass down sort of thing so you get like two or three families their kids are coming along and then they've got younger brothers and sisters and then they, they say right they're gonna i'm leaving i'm 16 now i'm moving on but here's my 11 year old brother he's gonna come now and then he gets to the point where he's 16 and he's got a younger sister and, <laughs> you know, there's quite a lot of kind of word of mouth pass it down the family that sort of way of doing things i guess it's proof of pudding that the service works for people if word of mouth is the best form of recommendation isn't it What do you think have been the biggest challenges for young people during this period, this last 12 months? Well, I don't count myself the total expert on this, but I guess there's a few things you could pull out. Like there's different sorts of kids, but some kids seem to really, I found it really hard to get out at all. If we're allowed to run a club physically, we'll try our hardest to do it. We've done lots of stuff in the park in the summer just because we couldn't be inside, but we could be outside. During this last eight, 10 weeks, we've been offering people you go for a one-to-one walk. We're allowed to do that. We're allowed to walk together one-to-one. Right. So who wants to do that sort of thing? And some people are kind of quite keen to get out and we'll do that. But some people I think have got so locked down and psychologically just, I'm just staying in. That's all I'm doing. It's really hard for them to even motivate themselves to do something, which I think they would enjoy and benefit from, but they kind of just have gone into like almost like hibernation sort of mode. And I think so. For some young people are like that. That's been the challenge in a way, like almost shutting down in a way, just staying in and keeping out of the way. Others, I guess, are more felt frustrated that they can't do the things. Yeah. You know, they want to be out there doing things, but they can't. My son, you know, he loves playing football and hasn't been able to play football for weeks and his leagues had to be paused. And, you know, it's like, that's frustrating. When can we go back to school? When can we do the things we want to do? And I guess schoolwork, obviously, is a big challenge for them. And I guess, again, there's a variety of ways and capacities people have to cope with that. Like some people probably quite well set up, got two or three devices and good Wi-Fi and couldn't 
do it. Others haven't got the equipment or haven't got the good um, yeah. internet. And it must be much more of a struggle for them to kind of be bothered and to keep up with it and keep going. And do you think, obviously in Tower Hamlets, it's been reported quite widely about the digital poverty element that you've just touched on and how for some yep. kids everyone has a laptop and if they don't their families were in a position to sort that out but for some people they were having to share a family mobile phone to log on to their homework and stuff like that i know a lot of organizations have worked together diff- all different sorts of faiths and different community groups to really address this is that something that you felt happened over the last 12 months that where people have seen problems have really come together to try and help and come up with solutions to support young people in tower hamlets Yes, I think so. Certainly within talking to Paul Easton Holmes and others, I've known if I was aware of a family who needed something, I could go to him and he had his fingers in various pies and resources where he could get something from, which has been helpful. And yeah, you do read about and hear about people pooling resources to try and roll it out. It's very hard to really put your finger on out of everybody who really needs what and who still needs it. Like I've been asked, does anyone need a laptop and we've asked around the, the families that are coming to things on zoom and stayed in touch during the lockdown and haven't really found that many that have still needed it but then one of our youth clubs the kind of guys who come to it on a monday night you know they're just not the sort of guys who want to do zoom at all <laughs> so that club has just kind of stopped in september we had our first week back since previous march and they were all there waiting on our door 10 minutes before us because they were wow. like, no, when it's open, we're coming. <laughs> but we don't want to see you on Zoom anytime. So, you know, yeah. we have six months off and then start back again. I think that must be a really nice feeling for you guys as well to know that the young people want to come back. They want to meet you face to face. They really value that one on one conversation, a space to have a chat. So how did you get involved with East End Homes? You mentioned about the graffiti project. How did it all come about? I think it came about partly through that Solar City week I described already. So I think 2006, just liaising with someone in the East End office saying, what could we do? And I think they gave us £200 towards paint or £200 towards expenses or something. It was a very small one-week thing, do you know what I mean? But we, I guess from the church's point of view, we put quite a lot into it in terms of just volunteers. And that week, that's what we were doing. We were going to do painting in the morning and then youth clubs in the evening and see what we could do. And I think it was off the back of that that I think East End Homes thought, oh, these guys can kind of work with young people and we could do something more. And I think at the time, one of the estates nearby had quite a lot of young people hanging about, didn't have a lot of constructive things to do. And that was causing some of the residents a bit of concern or problem. And so I think they asked us, look, could we do something about this? And I remember going to several meetings with Debbie Davis, meeting various different organisations, saying, could they do something or could we do something? Just trying to tease out who could help with this situation. And in the end, it turned out that we were the ones who were going to help, really. So it was Eastern Homes and ELT made a deal where they gave us a bit of funding each year. And Rapid Response team actually helped too. So they sent their bus each week down onto the estate. And we provided a couple of youth workers to work with them. The first year was really done in that partnership mode, really. Rapid Response and us and Eastern Homes giving some funding towards our youth workers being there. And that was successful. It kind of engaged young people, started getting to know them. And it kind of grew from there. That must have been probably about 2008. And I think we've done it every year since then. Rapid Response is no longer partnering with that. But it's become a regular youth club for 11 to 16s. It's, again, been through various transitions. Like we were partnering with the town. It's youth service at one point. So it was 13 to 19s at that stage. I guess you partly go where the funding goes and see who's funding what to keep it alive. In the moment, we've got a really good program for 11 to 16-year-olds. And it's Deliberately, it rotates around a three local Eastern Homes estates. So it's not just for kids on the Eric estate or the Bede estate or the British estate. It's for all those young people. And I guess one term of the of the year will be on your doorstep. 
and then we'll move on to the next estate for the next term and so on. And there's, there's pros and cons in that. Like, it feels very fair. Like, it's all the three local estates around here definitely get a share of having a club on their estate. It's a bit sad sometimes when you move on to the next estate, there's one or two, it's too far for them, or they feel it is, and they don't quite come with you. So you see them again the next year. Probably stops it growing maybe quite as fast as it would if it stayed in the same place. Yeah. But on the other hand, it reaches more people than you would if you just stayed in one place. Just from listening to you today, it sounds like in each case, you're talking to the community about what they need first and then mm-hmm. developing. What's the secret behind a good youth service? Well, it might not be a secret what is your learning in providing a good youth service oh crumbs <laughs> i think one of the things would be be flexible you've got to be open to change and to listen and and see what happens that applies in so many situations like i mentioned the funding or the funding might change so you might have to change what you do or age range or aim but also with the young people like you can do things in detached youth work you can just go out and talk to young people and you're educating them through that getting to know them through that but you can also bring them into the centre and do things with them there and you could make it more structured or less structured. And I think you've got to be willing to change depending on what the young people want and how the young people are and what they kind of seem to appreciate or respond to. And that's very much like you say, through listening and just spending time with them and talking to them. Um, so you've got to be yeah, flexible and responsive. I guess so. You have to get on well with young people. Sometimes it's a challenge, but this, if you're the sort of person who enjoys that challenge, which I am, then I think that really helps. It's like, okay, you're making life difficult tonight, but we're going to see if we can find a positive way through this. Another little thing I've often done is always prioritise the time when they're not in school. So okay. it's, it's great to run a youth club in an evening in term time. I, you know, we do that a lot, but we'll always try and make sure we save energy and time and money for the school holidays. Yeah. So half term, every group of kids we work with, we'll always try and do a trip out in half term. And Easter, we'll try and do two trips out. And in the summer, we'll try and give them a week, like, let's go away. So some of my favourite things have been organising camping trips in the summer, going to Derbyshire for five days. I saw some probably 28 and 29-year-olds on the street last week, and they were still raving about the times yeah. we had together camping. It was like part of their growing up and their best memories. And it is for me too, as a youth worker, like, we have such good discussions, such good fun, such activities. So it's really encouraging. And talking to them, it was hilarious, actually, because they were telling me, we've tried to do some of those trips since youth club days, Andy, when you chucked us out when we are 19. <laughs> we've tried to do them ourselves. But we still need you to come because we all forget something and we book an activity for nine in the morning, but no one gets out of bed. Where's Andy with his cold flannel, they would say, to put water on us. It's nice to know you appreciated all these years after. <laughs> yeah, 10 years it takes. But... Those trips away when you're younger, when you're a young person, you do remember them for such mm. a long time. What What do you think it is? What What is that opportunity that you're giving young persons, especially people in Tower Hamlets? I think it's changed considerably now, but I know in the 90s, a lot of young people in Tower Hamlets really didn't venture far out of Tower Hamlets. Well, I, I know great changes happened and people are feeling that they can move into different postcodes far more easily. But what do you think a young person gets out of a five-day trip to Derbyshire or Wales or a trip to the beach i think it's still true now like you say i think it's changed a bit but we we did a three-day residential not last summer but the one before and we took eight young women from our young women's club and i think for all of them that was the only time out of london in their summer holidays so there's still many people for whom they don't get out of town but it's very often there are plenty who do as well obviously even talking to these men i saw last week they would say it just really widens their horizons like they'd never thought about travel or going anywhere before but now they really do and they say well, andy that's you you and you introduced us to sort of travel and getting outside of the area i guess travel and stuff is partly for fun isn't it and leisure but it also i think really widens people's horizons and makes them think oh i don't have to just stay here and do what 
my dad did or whatever, I can think outside the box a bit. In terms of learning about people, I think it's really important. Like we used to go to Derbyshire quite regularly and our boys, nearly all Bengali boys for those trips, would always come back and say, God, they're so friendly, those people in, in the <laughs> Peak District. All those white people, they're so friendly. And it's almost like it was a surprise. There's a perception that just gets broken down by going to different places and meeting different people. You're suddenly a bit wiser about the world, aren't you? And a got a wider horizon and a greater ability to connect with different people. So I think they're really important life lessons, as well as being a lot of fun. That's important, and I guess giving them opportunities to see different areas of the UK and, and experiences, like you say, that people just wouldn't have the chance to get ordinarily. Mm. Have you always lived in Tower Hamlets, or did you? No. No. I moved here in about 1995. I grew up in Devon, so it's a very different environment from London. It's maybe not Tower Hamlets specific, but I can remember moving to London for the first time, probably in 93 or 94. As a Devon boy, I'd been away from home, away to university and stuff. So I wasn't like afraid of leaving home, if you like, but I thought London was a scary place. And I thought if I got my A to Z out, people would know I wasn't from the area and they'd probably mug me straight off. And I was really quite nervous in a way, coming to be a young youth worker, age 23 or something. I soon learned in the first year or two that actually it's not that bad. <laughs> there are still friendly people. It's quite different from growing up in Devon. But it's not, I think from an outsider looking in, it seems more intimidating a place than it really is. And, you know, I, I love Tower Hamlets. Yeah, I just feel at home here, really. I really like it. Yeah, that's a good feeling. And you mentioned you came to London from Devon age 23 as a youth worker. So has that been your vocation pretty much from the office, yeah. like, I want to work with young people. Yeah, I was going to be an archaeologist originally. That was the original plan, just <laughs> because of Indiana Jones. <laughs> oh, everyone's been inspired by Indiana Jones at one point. I definitely that. was, but I did love history and all that kind of stuff too. So I started studying that. Now I'm more of a people person than that. I couldn't spend all winter just sort of dusting finds and drawing them and writing things up. I, I think I would have enjoyed the teamwork element of it. And I decided, let's pursue something which is a bit more people focused and I weighed up a few options and I thought well let's try youth work so I came to London to do that and I've never looked back really I found I loved it and I found I'm good at it my mum for several years kept asking me when's this year off going to finish that youth work didn't really (laughs) seem like a real thing to be doing but here I am 20 years later still doing it and doing all right and you said that the church set about launching the youth service around 2002 that's when you start putting feelers out to connect you with new members in the community that didn't necessarily go to your church and do you feel that the youth service, your youth service has done that? It's definitely connected, yes. Yeah. We've got three main youth clubs that run at the moment, the one on a Monday night and the one with Eastern Homes on a Tuesday afternoon and the girls' club. And between them, they're all different young people and different families that are connected to them. Uh, and we also do some work in schools and you get hundreds of young people you connect with through that. So we're much more connected with the local community than we ever were before. And while people may not come to your church, what do you think their perception is of the church if they may go to the mosque instead? Do you think that, that it's kind of given people more knowledge of you and what you do? I think people generally think the church does good things in the community. I think that's because we're doing these things, we're more known. I know lots of people who go to the mosque. In fact, we're, we're working on a project at the moment to see if we could do something joint with the mosque. It'd be great to have some meals together and find out a bit more about each other's faiths and things. So that's something we're working on. People definitely know a bit more about us and that we're here and we're here to make things better if we can and to help if we can. When they go past your building on the Bedette Road, they know that's where you're based and that's who provides their youth service and that's important to them rather than just walk past and thinking it's a yeah. building. You know, realising actually this is an organisation that works for my community. 
And you touched upon the fact you're working with, is it East London Mosque more closely? No, around the corner from us is Tower Hamlets, Bengali Cultural Association. And you're working with those guys on delivering meals or? We were more thinking, could we have some sort of joint thing where, I guess like the, it's that parallel worlds thing, like there are people who live locally and go to the mosque and the people who live locally and go to the church. And I think let's break down those two sort of parallel worlds and let's make friends between, I know we have done that to an extent, like there's plenty I know, but I know there are, are more people in the church who think you live locally would be willing to sort of make cross-cultural friendships, if you like, and sort of have a more integrated local community. And I think between us, we could do that a bit. We could almost formalise, right, twice a term, let's have a meal together for 20 of us or something and share a bit about what we each believe or something. But like, let's understand each other and let's get to know each other better. We were just starting along those lines before the lockdown hit, and obviously that's blown any meeting together to have meals out of the water. Yeah. <laughs> but hopefully we can pick that up again, you know, in the summer or something. As a resident of Tower Hamlets myself, it's been pretty impressive to see how the different faith organisations have worked together, especially around vaccine awareness, support, targeting and supporting vulnerable residents. It does yeah. feel like there's definitely the appetite to get involved and to work closely with one another and help the community as a whole, which is really nice. I think often there are things which kind of are true for all of us, aren't they? That yeah. these things are good for all of us, so let's work together to implement them. I wouldn't say I'm a fully-fledged member of the Star Hamlet's Interfaith Forum, which I'm kind of, I go to some of their things, but not all of their things. But they've been involved in that, haven't they? Promoting yeah. the vaccine between us all sort of thing. I think that's a good thing to do. Do you think that's there's momentum? It's building the Interfaith Forum. Well, I think that forum is well established. Probably the COVID thing has probably made it more visible, hasn't it? Like, yeah. I think more people are hearing about it and talking about it. And like, isn't it good that the mosque and the church, whatever, are working together to do these things? So, yeah, I think it's probably growing a bit. Certainly in our area, there's a there's a WhatsApp group as well, one of the mutual aid groups. So there were the people from the church, we got involved in that too. And I know Paul from Eastern Homes has. And that... And in the early days, that was quite an active sort of group. I think probably people have found their level now and know what their support networks are, and that WhatsApp group is used less for that now. But certainly there's a, a good feeling of working together and being together. I think that's been one of the real positive learnings for everyone in 2020, the power of WhatsApp, because I was talking to Father Tom Pike on the island, and he said through WhatsApp he could put a message out to his community, and they wouldn't necessarily be people that were regulars at his church, and his regulars would come and support him but also through whatsapp like if he needed some food urgently a whole load of food donations mm. would turn up or he'd be able to mobilize a group of people to deliver food to people that he need that's opened up communication and actually you may not go to a church but you still might want to help them in some way mm -hmm. if they're the conduit for getting support out so that seems to be a real positive for everyone Why do you think a locally focused service is important? Okay, this is often argued about or debated about between youth workers and community workers. And I think partly it's probably personality. I'm more of a sort of local person, small group thing. But I think also there's a real benefit to that in a way that I think if you're in a smaller group, you're more flexible, you can do more things. Like I like to work with a group that we can get in a minibus. So if we want to go and do something, it's not like some people can go and some people stay behind. That obviously means you have smaller clubs. But we have a sort of sense of togetherness and we don't have a committee of young people who run the club. If you're in the club, you are the committee. We're, we're making democratic decisions together about what we're going to do next week or in the summer. So there's something powerful and effective, I think, about working in smaller groups anyway. And I think also locally, 
it means that you don't leave some people behind. Like you might have a youth club two miles away, which might be really brilliant and might have a really big reach and a big membership. I'm not against those sort of things, but I think you need to supplement them with the local focused things as well, because there'll always be some people who won't, for whatever reason, be bothered to travel that far, or maybe their parents won't be happy for them to travel that far and so having something on the doorstep or quite nearby walking distance i think is really important and i guess certainly in our partnership with eastern homes we're trying to run it for their three estates around there not exclusively like if you live on the next door estate or over the road that's fine but generally this is our patch sort of thing and we'll run things for this patch i think it's i think it's really important to have local stuff i don't think you can really just run it on you know really big centers serving everybody And from those young people that you spoke about earlier, that's the outcome, isn't it? Learning what someone needs and then creating a trip away that's totally right for them means that they remember it when they're 28 with such fond memories. So that's what it's all about. In terms of social housing, why do you think social housing is important, especially from your experience in living and working in East London? Why do you think social housing is important? Really, it's about affordability for me. You need to be able to afford somewhere to live. Social housing provides that. Certainly, the housing market like it is at the moment, you can't really afford to live in Tower Hamlets unless you're very, very, very well off or, you know, got here a long time ago. I'm sure there's probably a lot more that could or should be said about that, but I'm not sure I'm qualified. I think, well, everyone we've spoken to and asked that question, affordability comes up. I think you've got a really valid point. So I graduated late 90s and I'm moved to Tower Hamlets and the rents to live in great houses were affordable, genuinely affordable. Mm. That's why so many people, young people starting out, moved into Tower Hamlets. But you couldn't say that now, could you, for private? So I think you've hit the nail on the head there and that's all about being equal and inclusive and it's also such a great place to live. You kind of want it to be open and for people to have access to it and have the opportunity to live here as well. And you definitely don't want people to feel squeezed out either, do you? Like people who maybe not thinking about moving here, but who are growing up here and their kids are growing up here. And it's like, you don't want to feel like, well, we have to go because there's no place for us here. Sort of thing. Yeah. And especially the communities that you've mentioned, they've got lovely established families that have lived there for mm-hmm. many decades and, and should feel that they can continue to live there if that's their choice. We've talked about some of the young people you've worked with and some great experiences are there any favourite memories over the years that you can reflect back on that really make you smile? <laughs> I suppose there's lots, really. But I remember taking it years ago, like when we, we were running it out of a bus to start with, but then some premises came up on Wager Street. There was a an old betting shop, I think, and we had the opportunity, Eastern Home said we could kind of refurbish it and make it into like a youth club or a community space. They had anything called then the Youth Opportunity Fund, so young people themselves could apply for funding. Yeah. And you had to take a group of four or five, they had to write like a presentation and then go present it to a, another panel of young people and some youth workers. So I remember taking a group from the Bead Estate down, and it, it was down, we went down to the, the council town hall, yeah, uh, Mulberry, Mulberry Place. Place. So, yeah, so we had to be quite, you know, polite and <laughs> be civilised and quite intimidating in a way for them and me. And I remember going out to McDonald's afterwards. It's kind of like, now we can let hair down. We can go and get a burger and chips and stuff like that. But they got £5,000 from that presentation. It was in the early days. They got £5,000 towards their youth club sort of going out of a bus and being refurbished as part of the premises. And they got to go to the furniture shop to help choose like sofas and things that were going to go in the club. So that was a really good moment of kind of community participation, if you like. The young people themselves helped raise the money help spend the money and design this new space for them. So that was really good. That's a really nice sense of achievement for them and to know that their legacy continues, I guess. Just one thing I wanted to touch on, because we spoke about 
how you got into youth work and you said you like working with people and that was your driver but one thing I've noticed with all good youth workers is that you always seem to work totally in the moment like there's no judgment ever given to any young person if for whatever reason they are being slightly challenging it's dealt with with very clear boundaries but then you seem to have the ability to move on to the next moment is that fair to say it's just I'm always so impressed by that skill set within youth workers I'm probably not as good as you've just described, <laughs> but um, you have to live in the moment and you have to have your wits about you sometimes, yeah. and, you know, know what you're doing. But sometimes you do have to shut the door for a night and think, I need to go away and think about this. It's definitely been nights when I've had to go away and think, well, what am I going to do about this now? Like the end of the evening, you've just discovered that a load of stuff's been nicked or something. I'm probably not as good at thinking on my feet as some people are, but it is definitely something you need to be able to do. I loved doing cross-country running when I was growing up. And I think there's something about that in me as well and probably youth work's a long-term thing and you just kind of keep going so you might get a hit but like you say it doesn't mean you stop or give up it means you pick yourself up and you keep going and you don't build a relationship in one day obviously you make your first impression but you know you build a relationship over months and years and it's kind of dealing with that in a way so it's not giving up is a, a big factor for me so if you were to employ a youth worker youth colleague what skills would you look for First of all, do they really get on with young people? Because you don't want someone who's just kind of earning their money or sitting through it and not enjoying it. You want them to, to like young people and be able to relate to them, be able to build those relationships. That's the absolute foundation. Being flexible, so not being really set in your ways. I need young people to come and fit in with my program that I'm running. It's more the other way around. You're trying to design a program which will suit these young people and will help them and that they'll enjoy. So you've got to be willing to be flexible. I suppose you've got to be willing to work antisocial hours. Yeah. Maybe this is just stating the obvious, <laughs> but if you just want to be a youth worker and clock off at 5.30, you can't really do that. Not really. <laughs> no. So you need to be able to give up some evenings. And that will have a knock-on effect. Like, I think it has a knock-on effect on my social life and things like that. I guess they do need to be patient. Like, it's not always a smooth ride and you won't always be spoken to politely, but you have to be able to take that in your stride. A sense of humour probably helps quite a bit. I bet that is essential. You know? Yeah. But I think also... We're all different, aren't we? Like, yeah. you know, we all have different personalities and no one personality suits every young person. It's really good to have some variety in the team. I've got one final question for you, Andy. How would you describe East End Homes in three words? I guess partner As is the first partner. thing I think of yeah. because that's what we are. We're a partner to them, they're a partner to us. And I guess... We want to do youth work. We want to help the local community. We want to be in the local community. And we couldn't do that all without Eastern Homes. Second thing I'd say, maybe builders. <laughs> maybe you don't always say that. I don't know. But there's always some building going on. Several years ago, when there was some development on the Eric Estate behind the church, there was a thought of making the space at the back of the church into a sort of joint garden area. And I think that idea was put on hold because we just need to finish this building work first because that space is really useful for constructors to park their lorries and keep their equipment and stuff. So uh, they're always building something. I've got to think of a third word. Well, I'll say helpful. Certainly, I've always found Paul and others in the office very helpful if we're trying to sort something out with our partnership. It's always willing to speak, always willing to meet up, talk things through, work things out. And I guess that's why we're still doing it after all these years. Thank you for listening to this episode of Our House. A huge thank you to Andrew Mossop. We hope you enjoyed it. Our House is presented by me, Helen New produced by Michaela Tranfield and created by Social Landlord East End Homes. See you next time.